in the book of 1 Timothy, and it is a great book, and from many, many aspects. Um, the theme we had said is fighting the good fight in the church. That is fighting the good fight of progressing in our faith and growing in the Lord, maturing. And we're now in chapter 3 where Paul is talking to Timothy, not necessarily about the whole body in the church, but in particular, the elders, the qualifications for the elders. Although I will say that we see many a time that these qualifications are addressed to all believers. So I don't want us to get that idea. Well, it is interesting how God will work in all of our lives to grow us. It's interesting the things God will bring into our lives, the lessons that he teaches. It's interesting how he'll do that to teach us leadership, even spiritual leadership, even develop us, develop us uh, for ministry. And you think of men where he's developing men for spiritual leadership and does it the whole way. It is a process. No one is perfect and no one comes out and begins perfect. And I have an illustration here. This illustration happens to come from John MacArthur who's making the point of how patient God is with all of us and how patient God was with him. He says, I look back at my own life, and it's almost funny to analyze the path that the Lord brought me through in bringing me to a place of leadership in his church by his grace. I remember when I was in high school, some people said to me, you want to run for student body president? And they had a little straw vote to determine who the candidates might be that would run before they were approved by the administration of our high school. And someone had put my name in the process. And one day, I got a call from the principal, and I was called to his office. And he said, it's come to our attention that you might run for student body president. Furthermore, the straw vote indicates that you might actually win. So we're withdrawing your name from the ballot out of fear that in the event of your running, that it might happen. And that is exactly what they did. They took my name off the ballot. Very humble of him to to share that. Well, he goes on to say that when he went to college, you know, he had grown a little bit, had licked his wounds. And when it came to his senior year in college, uh, Someone who was running for president of the college, uh, student body, said, I'd like to have you as my vice president. And uh, the first thing he thought of was, He's, this guy's kidding, you know, because of my prior experience. But he was very serious, and he said, I'm going to put your name in the ballot as the vice president. Well, he said he didn't think anything would come of it. And he said, but something did come of it. On the day of the election, when they were allowed back then to post banners to vote for so-and-so, kind of like we talked about the other day with Marshall Morgan as being an elder, the day of the election, he wrote, don't vote for Marshall. <laughs> but someone had put, it, had put posters all around to vote for John MacArthur as vice president. The only problem was... In all seriousness, the person who was doing this had dyslexia. 
and spelled his name wrong on every poster and differently on every poster. So he said, it was so funny that he got elected. (laughs) He said, so I want you to know that the only place my natural talents ever got me in leadership was backing into a position by virtue of a joke. Well, it is amazing to see how God works in all of us. And I actually think that along with the qualifications we see in 1 Timothy, there ought to be the qualification of humility to not think that we've arrived as elders, that we're not perfect. Um, so it, it, would be, it would behoove us uh, to know our own faults and try to continue to grow. And that's all of us, but it would especially be uh, those who are elders. So I, I have to share then, I guess, my own little testimony. Uh, I was saved at the age of 18 and uh, just, uh, you know, was growing in the Lord and getting involved. And about a year or so later, they asked me if I'd be a camp counselor. And, and I, I thought, sure. And, I, you know, I love this, you know, with sharing the gospel with these young kids. And uh, it was, uh, it was a, uh, over the weekend. And, and so we were in cabins and I had this group. And so when I was giving devotions, which, you know, very, very important. I'm giving devotions. I had this one little boy who just would not stay put. And he was wandering. Now, I had learned already a few leadership qualities. And that quality was, don't ever say anything to children unless you're going to carry it out. And he had done this so many times that before I even thought about it, I said, if you don't sit down, I'm going to tie you up. Well, he did sit down. And I'm thinking, is this the time to apply this? And so I did. So I tied his little feet. And I mean, he wasn't hurt or anything. I tied his little feet. And he proceeded to get up and hop all the way to the administrator's office. Well, I didn't hear anything immediately. But later that evening, uh, I was called over by the, the, the director. And he said, so what happened down there? And I said, he just would not sit still. And It was out of my mouth before I knew it. If you don't sit still, I'm going to tie you up. And he did it anyway. And I thought, well, I got to to show my authority here. He said, yeah, but you don't tie a little kid up. (laughs) Well, that was only part of it. The other part of it was at at the end of that weekend, his father came in, um, who was a friend of mine. We had played softball together in the church league and and, uh, just a, a great believer. And I went up and I said, look, I am so sorry and he was so gracious, he just laughed at the whole thing. He said, I thought it was funny. So the, the Lord was gracious, and I learned a good lesson. Don't tie up little kids, okay? <laughs> so the point is that the character of a spiritual leader is as important to God as are the very responsibilities that they have to minister to the church. We are continuing on with the qualifications, and we will be in these qualifications for several weeks. Now, if you take a look at your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we talked about that last week. At least we covered one verse last week. We talked about that, and we covered a little bit of the next verse. But it says, it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, It is a fine work he desires to do. 
And as I studied this out, the background for this is not that we should go around candidating and putting up posters, I'd like to be an elder. The idea is, is back in that day, being an elder or a pastor of a church was not something that was held in high esteem, though it should have been. Certainly was not high in esteem of the world. There would be persecution. There would be difficulties. And I believe Paul is giving this to say, hey, look, if, if you are approached to be an elder, this is a fine work, a good work. And, and the idea is noble and honorable that he desires to do. And so it's okay to be a part of that and say, yes, I, I would do that. And then verse 2 starts to get into the qualifications. Verse 1 talked about leadership, spiritual leadership. Verse 2 says, an overseer then, and he's now going to talk about all of the qualifications. The thing about these qualifications is that they are characteristics. That's the interesting thing about it. It doesn't, doesn't matter uh, your status, doesn't matter how much uh, money you have or, or what kind of job you have, if you're a CEO or a bank director or whatever, what matters, doesn't even matter your age. He talks to Timothy about don't let anyone intimidate you about your age. What matters is spiritual qualifications and character. And therefore, as we look at these, we see that. And he begins and says, an overseer then must be above reproach. And last week, we said that's a very fitting way to begin because it would cover everything. Be a reproach, displease God, sin. But it's the idea of don't let anything go in your life that you haven't made right before God or before man so that someone, including Satan, can grab a hold of you and pull you back. That's part of the idea. It's to please the Lord, not to sin, uh, not to be a habitual sinner, that's something that would bring, bring reproach upon the church. So he says, must be above reproach. And by the way, the very first qualification later on in, in this book, in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's the implication to all of us as Christians who name the name of Christ to be above reproach, that there isn't anything in our lives that we haven't, uh, that we've offended someone, either God or man, but we haven't made it right. And then the next one was the husband of one wife. And we took the remainder of last week's sermon uh, to attempt to explain that. And we looked at the various views and I end up concluding that it is the view of the one-woman kind of man. The one-woman kind of man. After all, there's no article in front of it. We're talking about characteristics, not necessarily marital status. Let me read John MacArthur from The Master's Plan for the Church. The phrase one-woman man doesn't refer to marital status at all. Paul is giving moral qualifications for spiritual leadership not outlining what an elder's social status or external condition is to be. One woman man speaks of the man's character, the state of his heart. If he is married, he is to be devoted solely to his wife. Whether or not he is married, he is not a ladies' man. 
A one-woman man is one totally devoted to his wife, maintaining singular devotion, affection, and sexual purity in both thought and deed. And so, in conclusion, I write that the one-woman kind of man view appears to be supported grammatically, there's no article, and contextually, it's about characteristics. But it also could be argued that this view covers most of the other interpretations. In other words, a one-woman kind of man would not be a polygamist, right? Nor would he have an illicit relationship, nor be divorced as a one-woman kind of a man. But nor would he be an unloving husband or be flirtatious. And so we have covered that one. Today we're going to look at temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Let's just begin with a word of prayer. Father, I do ask you to guide and guard my mind and lips, my study, my interpretations, so that they line up with Scripture. Father, I pray that as we go through these, that that we as elders will humbly admit that there's work to be done. I know there is in my life. I pray, Father, also, too, that, that as a congregation, we all realize that, yeah, we've, we've not come to perfection. And so we need to work on these things, too. And, and these qualifications are mentioned to all of the congregation. Father, we find ourselves looking at our character in these sermons, and rightfully so, because it's not just what we do, but it's who we are. And who we are affects what we do and how we do it and how it's received. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so temperate is the next one. What does temperate mean? Well, literally, it means holding no wine. It means being sober and abstinent in regard to alcohol. But it also means to be sober in one's life, a seriousness, a vigilance, being watchful in character. Well, now, which one is he talking about here? Well, in verse 3, he is going to mention alcohol and that qualification. So here, he's probably talking about character, that we need to have sobriety in life. Now, as we look at this, one writes, the elder, he attends to his care and charge. He is watchful over himself, his words, his actions, and watches for the souls of men to do them all the good he can. That's this idea of temperance, to be uh, sober and serious. And we should be serious. All of us should be serious, but especially the elders. Because, number one, the Lord's going to return. And we are going to give an account as elders for what we've done, what kind of responsibilities, how we've grown the church. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it tells us that. And so then, let us not sleep spiritually or as our life is, as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And that's in the context context of the Lord's return. We also see that 
We should be sober when it comes to our ministries, our responsibilities. Um, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, but you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So it is fine to have other things besides ministry. It's fine to have recreation or hobbies or whatever. But we are, we are really exhorted to be very serious about these responsibilities that we've been called to do, that God has asked us to do. But it's all believers. You might imagine how it applies to us as elders, but it's all believers. Um, first of all, in 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is where he's using this word sober. He says, be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So again, we have joy in the Christian life. I'm not putting a wet rag upon our joy or cheerfulness, but there must be a seriousness because you know what? This is no game. We've talked about spiritual warfare, fighting the good fight. One of the aspects, spiritual warfare. That's going on all the time, whether we're singing praise songs or not. There's spiritual warfare by Satan and his demons going on, and we need to be sober about it. Peter also says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So again, we're thinking of the the return of Christ at some point, the rapture for us as believers. We need to be sound in our judgment. We need to be sober. And it even aids us in prayer as, as we pray. We also think about those who don't know Christ. This ought to be a burden for us. We're going to heaven. So if something happens to us, great. But what about those who don't know Christ? And let me be very honest. According to the scriptures, and we have talked about it, and I, I promise you if the Lord tarries, we will talk about it again, that someone who rejects Christ their entire life, never trusts in him and their salvation, when they die, they will go into eternal punishment, i.e. hell. For all eternity, there will be no time out. And it's almost too hard to even think about. But we should think about it a little bit, and it ought to cause us to be serious and sober about spiritual things. Now, again, I'm going to go back to this. I understand that you can have joy and cheerfulness, and you can even have humor. I am not against humor. Grace Bible Church was a very, very serious church until Jerry Brosey came along. Uh, you all remember the story about when we were hunting together and a storm came in. Uh, we were, uh, we were going to sit out the storm, wait it out, but, but for, just for fun while sitting there, we couldn't even, see, uh, couldn't even see to see if there was any elk out there. We said, well, let's just go ahead and um, make a shelter and a fire and all of those things. And there's stories just with that. Uh, like when I had the grill, the, the Bear Grills fire starter, and I couldn't get it lit. And Jerry comes over and hands me one of those Bic lighters. <laughs> but anyway, this, we, we built a shelter. We had built this fire. And this storm is getting worse. And it doesn't look like it's going to hold up. And he says, you know, if we stay here in this shelter, he said, you know, it's going to be pretty cold. We might have to 
cuddle tonight, which he meant in a survival sense, which it is a survival. But I guarantee you, 15 minutes, I was loading that ATV, and I was driving off that mountain. <laughs> humor is fine. I think humor is witty. It's illustrative. Um, it connects words together. And that's why we see such things as funny when we said the word cuddle. We know what he meant, but we know what it sounded like. Charles Spurgeon was talked to by his elders saying, you need to cut back on your humor. And he told them, if you only knew how much I already hold back. Nothing wrong with those things. And it, it's very, very good in illustrations. Uh, you know, I, th I think it sets the atmosphere and the tone with a good illustration. But I will say this. There is the other side of seriousness. Someone asked John MacArthur several years ago, John, you don't teach as many jokes as you used to from the pulpit. You're not as humorous as you used to be. And you know what he said? Well, that's because there's not a whole lot to be humorous about anymore. And there you have it. There you have the age, the maturity. And there is a seriousness. There's a, a seriousness that comes with age and leadership. It's a wearying thing to think about People who are dealing with sin and problems and all of the, the, the problems that it causes in, in lives, lives that are innocent. It's a wearying thing to think about this country, as far as I knew, was a lot better spiritually and walking in the right direction than it is now. It's so wearying. You, you ask yourself, what happened? It can be wearying to think about burdens of others, prayer requests, when you hear from individuals who are in affliction and in continuous pain. That's the one thing that does grab me when they talk about serious pain. I've seen saints down through the years just constant pain. How do you deal with that? I mean, it's different if you're talking about a situation where it hurts you inside, but this is hurting you inside and outside. And, and we think of that, and, and I'm just, whenever I hear about that, it just burdens me. We think of Lou, we think of uh, Dana's father, his pain. Or how about the trials and the temptations? Now, I'm not here to say that as elders, we are just, we are depressed. We are discouraged. I'm not saying that because one of the things that I found out in ministry that I had no idea is that the Lord encourages you through those things. I mean, Literally, it's the peace that passes all understanding. But at the same time, too, there are those burdens of the heart. Now, we know God is in control, and we know the signs of the times, do we not? That God's will is being carried out. But if you remember, even the Lord Jesus Christ experienced such things and had emotion. How about when he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. He felt every bit of that passion and emotion. But there comes a seriousness with it, and there ought to be a seriousness with it. When you think about sharing the gospel, when you think about growing the church, 
Those things are serious. And, there's, and, and, and we have a very humorous group. And I'm so glad because I, I, yeah, I was raised with humor. I really was. Uh, my stepfather hardly ever said anything. Well, he would say things serious. But, I mean, there was always a joke in there somewhere. Um, you know, like the time that we were out hunting and I got stuck in the mud. And, and it, I was bad stuck. Well, first thing he did was got outside the truck and crossed his arms and assumed the supervisor position, meaning I got to do the work. So he's telling me what to do, you know, stick, you know, use the handyman jack, stick logs under, and it, and it wasn't working. And finally, I just looked at him and said, I, I'm so frustrated, I have to pray. And so I prayed, and um, it didn't get unstuck immediately, but it did get unstuck. As we're driving out, he turns to me and says, you know, I don't mind you praying, don't you think you ought to pray before you get stuck? <laughs> so that's kind of, but, but, but really, when it comes to the word of God, and you know, when it comes to the word of God, some of you even say, well, Daryl, you're kind of like a different person when you're preaching. Yes, because it's the absolute truth. Yes, because we need this. Yes, because we're growing. Yes, because this is serious. Yes, because we don't want false teaching to come in. Yes, because we want you to grow in the Lord. There is a seriousness about that. So that's why we should have temperance. The next one is to be prudent. To be prudent. Now, prudent is the Greek word sophron. And it says, one of the definitions, having the ability to curb desires and impulses so as to produce a measured and orderly life self-controlled. And I, I think this is a part of that. But I also see this as a part because the word literally means a sound mind. In fact, the word for sound is the word sozo from which we get salvation, a saved mind, a spiritual mind. It does mean a temperance type of thing, uh, but it's the idea that one does things in their right mind. It's very interesting in Luke chapter 8, verse 35, the word is used. It says, the people went out to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That's it. And they became frightened. Well, we need to be sound in minds, healthy minds, spiritual minds, minds that are based upon the word of God, not what we just think or happen to hear or an alternative view, but what it is, the reality of such things. Peter mentioned a bit ago that we were to be sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Well, it also uses sound judgment. That's, that's the word we're looking at here. We ought to have a sound mind with sound judgment that we're prayerful for people, but it's also part of our ministry. Uh, our ministry, we should take very, very seriously. And I've heard such men say that about what a privilege it is to preach the word, what a privilege it is to teach, what a responsibility it is to these things and to be an elder. It means to have an understanding mind don't check your brain at the door of Grace Bible. In fact, I don't think you should ever check your brain at any door. But that's kind of part of what this means because in Ephesians 5, 
It says, so then do not be foolish, but understand. And that's the same word, your mind. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is not emotions or mysticism. The the will of the Lord is not foolishness, but the will of the Lord is understanding the principles of Scripture and knowing how we should live. And then we also see this for all people as well. We did there in Ephesians. But believing men and women are to be examples as they have biblically sound minds. Titus chapter 2 in the same area. He's saying older men are to be temperate. Now he's not talking about elders here, just older men. Dignified, sensible, there you go. Sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Talks about women to be sensible, that's it. Sensible, a healthy mind, spiritual mind, prudent, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible, a healthy mind, a saved mind, a spiritual mind. So an elder then should be recognized for his spiritual discernment. We need men in the church who will respond with biblical discernment, not from the flesh, worldly passions, or Street wisdom, worldly wisdom, but from godly wisdom. What is interesting, we see this same thing mentioned in the book of Proverbs. It talks a lot about prudence. And and first of all, we see prudence is that it acts with knowledge and wisdom. That's probably one of the best ways to describe it. It's like, well, let's see, which way are the winds blowing today? Well, you don't want to ever do that in Wyoming. Um, the, the, it's the idea with knowledge. It says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12, wisdom here is personified. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. 13, 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays his folly. And it even goes against naivety. Proverbs 27, 12 says, a prudent man sees evil, and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. So you see this use of prudence. And yes, it is also making the right decisions for your life, not going by your impulses, but going by a sound mind and scripture. The next one is respectable. Elders ought to be respectable. And I think we understand that, we get that. What's interesting, though, is the Greek word behind it. It is kosmios. We get our Greek word kosmos, which is also our English word kosmos. What it means is well-arranged, orderly. You arrange things, you're well-ordered, they're, they're, they're in your life, you have Godly decorum, your conduct is well arranged according to the Bible. You have godly decorum, you are respected inside the church and outside the church. That's what it means. It was used, if you remember, not too long ago, chapter 2, verse 9, about women and their adornment. That their adornment ought to be respectable, well arranged, 
Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly. That's the word that it's translated there. And discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. And by the way, if you're interested in hearing that, you can find that on our live streaming. Where temperate is internal, respectable would be external. There is no gap, and there shouldn't be a gap. There shouldn't be a gap in me sharing the gospel and the way that I live, because people will just sit in there and shake their head and say, if that's how they act, I act better than them. I don't need the gospel. I don't need Christ. So the scriptures teach that a man's conduct and character do matter. There is no gap between the gospel they preach and the life they live. And it is orderly. Elders must exemplify decent, orderly, and modest conduct that brings harmony to the church. They're overseers, right? And so there ought to be orderliness. Now, I'm not saying there isn't room for spontaneity or anything like that. But it, it ought to be controlled. And when, when we do make decisions, this is usually what we're thinking about. Is, is this an atmosphere? Is this a ministry that will help build people spiritually? It's not just for fun. It may be fun, and there's nothing wrong with fun, but it's meant to bring people closer to Christ and to grow in Christ. I mean, that's why we have, that's why we have a rule that anytime there's any kind of fellowship under the auspice of the church, there needs to be a devotional time, time of prayer, because we're, we're not entertainment here. We're not you know, we're not just a club. This is, this, we have to be serious about what we do here in this church, and, and it's worship. And speaking of worship, your worship ought to be orderly. The elders ought to have an orderly church. That's how we learn. It's not disorder. Anything goes, people rolling in the, the aisles or anything like that, people just blurting out whatever they want. It's not that at all. In fact, if you think about it, let's go back to the word cosmos. Please forgive me, but I have to say this every time I mention this. Cosmos, we get our English word cosmetics from it, makeup. You know what the definition is? Please forgive me. I'm going to ask ahead of time. It means to bring order from disorder, okay? Is that a good description? Well, that's what the elders are to do in church, to bring order from disorder because we have a purpose, and that's to grow in Christ. And I must say that in years past, in these you know, recent years, we've seen all kinds of disorder in church services, and I don't know how it happened, but that ends up being, well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there you go. That's spirituality. And it's just a shame we have so many churches that are, you know, the, the, the frozen chosen. They can't do that kind of spontaneity. That is not spiritual spontaneity. That is being out of order. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. And so that's what we as elders attempt to do. 
And so a worship service is not to be out of control, but under control, under control of the Holy Spirit who is using this time to glorify the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what worship is about. That's what's orderly about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our preferences. And I've heard that. I've heard someone say, well, I'm a dancer, so I go to this church because they have dancing. And you just shake your head and say, wow. You know, I wonder, I wonder what God wants. I wonder what God wants for us. Well, he wants us to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, lift him up, his person work, the attributes of God. Now that we understand the attributes of God, now we're ready to worship him for who he is, not for the big granddaddy in heaven that I want him to be. And so I see this as a responsibility for respectable elders and all of us respectable people. The next one is hospitable. And I like this one. Hospitable. So the Greek word for hospitable is phylloxenos. Fun to say, fun to define. We usually think of hospitality as inviting people over to your house for fellowship and food. And that is right. That is good. That's a good thing. Even the food, especially the food, is the good thing. But that's not all that hospitality means. Philoxenos means a friend of strangers. Of course, we're going to be hospitable to our own. But it looks at the idea about being hospitable and friendly to strangers. That's what the word means. And that was necessary in the New Testament. You know, it wasn't like, well, you could just go to a Motel 6 if you're traveling from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. There were no Motel 6s. Now, along the way, there were what they called inns. But inns were outs. They, it was not good. William Barclay writes of the picture of the ancient world with these words. In the ancient world, inns were notoriously bad. Some of them were houses of ill repute. In one of Aristophanes' plays, Heracles asks his companion where they will live and lodge for the night, and the answer is, wherever the fleas are the fewest. Plato speaks of the innkeeper being like a pirate who holds his guests to ransom. Inns tended to be dirty, both figuratively and literally, and expensive and also immoral. So if someone had come to worship, they would pray for someone to be hospitable even if they don't know them. Now, I understand it's a hard thing to do in our day and age, right? Because we've seen a lot of abuses of that. I bet every one of us have. I believe all of the elders have. But the idea is is that hospitality really is meeting the needs of all, including strangers, and whatever it is. Now, with caution, with wisdom, prudence, okay, prudence. 
But you think about it, how many times have we seen that sort of hospitality work in someone's life and they started coming to that church? Or maybe it's an opportunity to lead someone to the gospel. Why are you doing this? Why do you act like this? Well, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Or ministry, spiritual growth, and we see that even in Scripture too. An elder is to express his love through hospitality to all, especially, and I'm saying the word especially, looking at the needs of the church and its ministry. So it is to strangers, that's what the word means, but listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, when we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Hospitality, known or unknown, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So somehow or other, we have to align our lives to that. Now, what about the other side? It is difficult. And I must say that because it's been abused so much over the years that there are many churches, including our own, that sometimes are very cautious to give money or help or aid. One of the reasons is I know what I went through. When I was the pastor in Texas, after this sermon, a, a woman with her daughter who had visited the church for the first time asked to speak with me and she said, she said, I love and need expository sermons. And it's in that point I said, you had me at expository. <laughs> and, and so we're talking a little bit about the word, and then she proceeds to say how she was hurting financially. And she had an ex-husband, and he didn't help support her. And, and, and next thing you know, you know, I'm talking to the elders, rightly so, talking to the elders, and they too felt the same way about it. We wanted to try to help this gal out. And for, to her credit, she did try to come to our church often. Now, this kind of went on for a little bit, but there were a few flags along the way, like the one time when she needed something and a group of us went over there to help her out and we were just mesmerized by this huge big screen TV that was when big screen TVs were first coming out, and it was big. And we're thinking, wait, we're contributing here, and she's got the big screen TV. And somebody asked her about that, and she said, oh, that's my ex-husband's. I'm holding it here till he can get it. Okay, fine. Well, then came the day when she asked for a large sum of money. And to the credit of the elders, we... At that point, we said, okay, hold on. We really have to be very careful about this. And she proceeded to tell us that she was just diagnosed with cancer and she didn't have long to live and she was in need of a vehicle so that she could go back and forth to the cancer center and that she could get her, her daughter to the babysitter. And, and so she needed this. Well, we were taking time to pray. And so it didn't happen overnight. And sometimes you may say, why don't these elders get moving quicker? Well, we just don't in Wyoming. I don't know. But it may be because we're thinking about it. It may be because we're talking about it. Maybe because upstairs not everybody is in agreement and we're trying to become unanimous. And maybe we want to go pray about these things. So it doesn't always happen in the speed of light. <laughs> anyway, this group there in Texas, we were praying about this situation 
And at some point, one of the nurses of that cancer center said, you know, I was just very curious. I had some bad vibes. I wanted to check out. And she said, she has never visited this cancer center. Her name is not down here. She has no doctor. She is scamming you. Well, I wasn't ready to just, you know, throw out the, I wasn't ready to tie her feet up, you know? I wasn't, I wasn't ready to do that. I, I was like, okay, maybe there is an explanation. So I called her up and I said, hey, somebody said something. They worked there and they didn't see your name. And she said, well, fine. If you don't want to believe me, that's fine. And hung up. That was the last we saw of her, or almost the last. Except for several years later, I saw her in town, healed from cancer, and driving a new car. I learned a lesson there. Um, I also heard of a story where a godly pastor and his wife, a gal, had come by, um, a transient, um, not, 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 um, not with all of the bad traits of transients, explain her situation just coming out of a cult, you know, and having nothing because had to leave. And so this pastor and his wife took this gal in. After a time, and I believe I'm, I'm correct in, this, situa- in this, this, this detail, after a time, I guess they talked to her about, you know, you probably need to try to go now, go, get on your own, figure this out. And, and she did. Well, about two months later, they were watching the news, and there was a story on this woman who had been going around from church to church doing this same scam. And they learned a hard lesson. So pray for us as elders to know what to do. We want to be hospitable, friends of strangers, but we also have seen scams, and we have to have wisdom and discernment. And there has been times when we've helped people. There, I'm sure just like you, there's been times that I've been moved, just like you've been moved, and I've helped them out personally, you know? But th- basically what I do is I look for just one flag. If I see or hear one flag, I have nothing else to go on. That pretty much does it for me. I'm done. But anyway... The idea here is in the idea of believers, those who are believers, and, and maybe they, they, they are having a terrible time in life. It does happen. And, and so we all need to be hospitable, careful, prudent, not naive, but hospitable. And of course, to our own, well, you can imagine what we need to do, all of the hospitality and help in every way, be it financial, be it help, be it fellowship and food. We, we need to be hospitable. Peter says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. You know, complaints really destroy a lot of good work. Do, complaints destroy crowns that we would receive in heaven. You know, we're doing something good, and then all of a sudden, under our breath or towards our spouse, we're just complaining. Well, guess what? Guess what? That's not the right way to go about it. We are told in Romans 12 to contribute to the needs of the saints. 
practicing hospitality. All of us. But I would say, especially elders. Again, that an elder is to express. He's not to be above the congregation. He's to be among the congregation. He's one of the congregation. So he's to express his love through hospitality to all, especially looking at the needs of the church and its ministry. And hence, if you, if you know, on every third Sunday, or at least we used to, on every third Sunday, we had a benevolence fund where if you would like to, you could contribute, and that went towards something that the elders could help others out. Well, you've been so generous. This church is a very generous church that we haven't had to collect for a while, for a time. Thank you. Thank you for being hospitable and pray for us as elders to dispense this money and to dispense it wisely and with godly wisdom to further the ministry and encourage the saints. Well, the final one is able to teach. And so this will be the last one that I'll talk about today. Able to teach. Now, it's an interesting word. It's didacticos and it means in some instances it means the skill to teach the skill to teach in other instances according to zodiades it can also mean the quality of being willing and ready to teach this is a characteristic if we're the spiritual leaders then that's something that ought to be in the forefront is the teaching of it. And I will say this, it's not just one's own ability to teach, but elders who will defend the teaching of this word that's preached. If I go long, on one hand, I truly am sorry. But if I go long, it's because I literally cannot help it because I'm so passionate about the word of God. And if you go to an elder and say, can you talk to him? It would be my hope that the elders would say, well, here in this church, we have an emphasis on the word of God. Because Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Or or the teaching that goes on, or why there has to be devotions all the time. And, and, and not only that, but you know, you know what, I'm going to be very practical. I'm, I'm getting, I've got the gray beard now. I, I can say some of these things. You know what, I appreciate my elders who guard my study time. So, so there are things that I can do besides study. I know you may not believe that, but it's true. And in fact, I could do most of it. But if I do most of it, then who's doing the study? Well, if it's someone else, well, then why don't they be the pastor and I'll be just a deacon and I'll do the stuff and they can have that dedicated time for the word. But I do appreciate the, where these elders are and they understand and they respect that time of studying the word, the, the need for the sermon, the need for it to be biblical, and they protect it. And I, and I thank them for that. And that's why you may hear those things. But it's also, there also is this character that you must be willing and ready. And so I have, I have said to my elders, please keep a sermon in your pocket in case something happens in an emergency or I get sick, which happened like my second week here. I told you about that. I, I told the congregation, I am not feeling good at all. I'm feeling sick in my stomach. I said, if, if, I, if I get sick, I'm not going to stay up here. I said, I'm going. 
and I was about halfway through, and I, I looked at Darlene, and I said, let's go. <laughs> we went out, grabbed the garbage can, garbage bag, and used it on the way home. I was sick. And it would be in those types of cases that we would want a spiritual leader to be able to stand up and say something, even if it was reading scripture and making a few comments, or a sermon that you have put away so that this will go on with or without me. So it's that readiness and willingness to further the teaching and to be a part of the teaching. As I said, it, it's so important. Um, we, we've been going through the study of the Holy Spirit. We've gone through the study of the church. You, you should pretty well know me by now, why we do what we do, why I do what I do. Why is teaching the Bible so important? Because this is how we grow. Because I myself can see myself if, if you know, it's so easy for these things to just kind of, some of these things to kind of go out of your mind and you need to be reminded of them again. That's why the apostles say, we don't mind reminding you. <laughs> because we need to be reminded of it over and over. That's the importance of it. And again, John 17, 17, sanctify them. Jesus is praying in all soberness. Father, sanctify the saints in the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 4, 15, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Okay, I'm going to mention husbands again. But I want you to look at Christ this time. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Even with Christ, it was all about salvation first and then edification having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. I believe that leans more towards salvation, but it's a stepping stone, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's what Christ is doing now with his bride, with us. And this is what we have to be a part of, and it comes through teaching, teaching the word of God. This is the elders' ministry. You remember in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, and I'll probably mention it a few more times while we go through this study, but there were a lot of responsibilities, even to some of the widows that were among them, and the elders were working themselves feverishly to get them all fed. Finally, they said, okay, we've got we've to appoint some other men to do this. Why? Is it above you? No. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, that was apostles, but I think we can imply that is the same thing for spiritual leaders, which would be elders. We would say in that same section that those who helped were deacons, kind of the, the unnamed passage for the model for deacons. Timothy is told, everything Paul tells him, he tells him that prescribe and teach these things. Timothy, I'm going to tell you this again, prescribe and teach these things. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. The exhortation is exhorting people to live this out and teaching them the word of God. This is what is to be done. This is, this is why we're all about this. 
It's also about the protection, the word of God, and why teaching is so important. It's about the refuting of false teaching. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, in the context of elders, it says, holding fast the word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict it. So we need to know those doctrines. Every elder uh, is able to say what's right biblically and doctrinally and say what's wrong and point out things that aren't right and be able to refute it in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells this pastor, Timothy, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, pointing these out through the word. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. By the way, that's another particular of our church. We do talk about doctrine even though, even though we've heard things like doctrine divides. You're right, it does. It divides from good doctrine from bad doctrine. And we need to know doctrine. And what is doctrine? Doctrine is nothing more than knowing what Scripture says about a particular subject, like God, his attributes, like the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and the doctrine that goes behind that, and the Holy Spirit, and those things. Sound doctrine. We're to have sound minds and teach sound doctrine. Spiritual minds teaching spiritual doctrine. And I, I pray that we do it in such a way that it's interesting. I, I, I pray that we're not doing it in a way that's dull. I pray that we do it in such a way that everybody understands, yep, I get it. I get what you did. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And by the way, what a great converse, congregation because at times people will come up to me and say, well, have you heard about this movement? Have you heard about that movement? And I have to say sometimes, no, I can't keep up with it. I can't keep up with all of these crazy new movements going on. But you know what? I'm concerned about them because I've saw movements years ago that I thought never, never, never going to develop. And now they're major ones. And then, of course, we've seen this before. It has come up a lot in our studies in the last month or so. The Lord's bondservant. And I think this would certainly describe all of us, but I think it would especially describe elders. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, able to explain the doctrine from scriptures, from the truth of Scripture, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That, in an essence, is what elders do. It is about those spiritual things. One writes this. In fact, you remember I read this quote not too long ago when we talked about this, the scripture that said, the doctrine of demons 
that one of the things that demons do is they try to initiate and foster unbiblical teaching that put people in snares and send people to hell. To sit under false teaching that contradicts the truth of Scripture is to be taught by demons and to put one's mind and soul in jeopardy. It is no wonder then that the Bible cautions against exposing oneself to false doctrine. And I'm thinking of Acts chapter 20, verse 17, when Paul called the elders, he called them to himself. Why them? Because they're the spiritual leaders. He has information. He has exhortation. They've got to go back and guard these things and watch these things. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. In verse 26, he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, either the congregation or perhaps even an elder, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So we see that even this idea of being willing and ready to teach, I think there's a sense in which that's a characteristic, a characteristic of a man who is, um, who, who majors on the word of God. This has got to be taught. We've got to elevate the teaching of the word of God. And if need be, in an emergency, to be able to at least teach something from the word, read the word of God, give a devotional, but the, needs to edify the church. So in conclusion, the character of a spiritual leader, an elder, is as important to God as the very responsibilities that he has been called to do. God calls elders to do certain responsibilities. That's important. But also the character. It's amazing to see how God works in each of our lives to develop not only spiritual leadership, but also spiritual character. So I want to give you some good news and bad news. The bad news is that he's not finished with us yet. We're not perfect, and he's still working on us. The good news is, is that he's not finished with us yet, that he's still working on us and working in you. But we pray that we all are learning the character and the lessons that God has designed for each one of us to grow and to lead spiritually, especially the elders. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is the word that talks about the living word that we elevate in this church because this is really what it's about. This is part of the elders' qualification. Oh, Father, we, we ask that you would give us wisdom and boldness, ability to keep false teaching out and to underline sound doctrine here. Father, we pray that you would help us, even though there is no such thing as a perfect elder, but that we would become more and more mature. Father, I'm thank you, I thank you for this list.
I thank you even for as I go through this list and I see things in my own life that need to be added. Thank you for that. But Father, we thank you for the way that you work in all of us. And, and, and Lord, even everyone here in the congregation, whatever ministry they're involved in, you, you're working the same things in them. Father, may we always understand that you are very concerned, not only about what we do for you, but who we are in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.